Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I still love learning about art anyway. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school. And as I've been saying in the last little while, I am in school. It's just not art school, but I still love learning about art anyway as well. I was getting drinks with some friends literally yesterday, and somehow the concept of art history classes came up. And someone was like, I've always, I was always interested in taking art history class, but it just seemed kind of useless. And then I laughed (laughs) so hard. I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, no, no, no. I just mean, because it feels like you could just read a book and like teach yourself art history and and it, it like, it would be very easy to do self-directed art history. And I was like, technically, I can't, like, I didn't take art history classes, so I can't tell you if that's right or wrong, but I can tell you it is 100% possible to learn outside the classroom, so there you go. Did, did you tell this person that they can listen to a podcast to learn more about art history? I did not, um, because I, um, I'm i resistant to talking about my podcast to real-life friends, because then it feels like I'm telling them that I host the Joe Rogan show. Like, I feel like the association <laughs> is just too rough at this point. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get it. Well, maybe they'll find it on their own. Who knows? Yeah, I should have just been like, wow, you should just search art history podcast and see what you think about what's out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, I actually have a topic today that's not very art history at all. It's art present. I love art present. Many years ago at this point, um, we did do an episode where we talked about a controversy in the administration of an art museum um, and the way the art museums were treating curators. This was back in 2020, episodes 18 and 19, where we were talking about the Guggenheim um, and the curator, uh, Chedro Le Bouvier. And so it's been over three years since we've explicitly dedicated an episode to kind of like the art museum administration and the way that uh, art museums talk and treat their employees um and so i thought why not do another one of these so i'll ask real quick do you have any familiarity with new fields and the indianapolis art museum um i don't know anything about this i was just gonna say i have no idea what we're talking about today perfect okay I'm going to send you a little block of text. This is a quotation from a job listing that was put out for a director of an art museum. And I want you to just read the job listing and then we're going to discuss before we get into any context for this. The new director will maximize unique programmatic opportunities, work closely with the curatorial, education, and public program division to animate the permanent collection galleries in innovative ways that attract a broader and more diverse audience while maintaining the museum's traditional core white art audience. So what are your initial reactions to this sentence? (laughs) Um, Well, my initial reaction reading the first part of the sentence was like there is a lot of key words that I was just like this is like an interesting or I mean not even interesting or it seems very job listing e um, I don't know how else to say it like you know there's maximize and opportunities and working closely so that seems like normal but in a way that a lot of job listings start with it's not super clear like they're just saying you're going to do a bunch of things that we're going to ask you to do but then it gets into more specific so It's saying to animate the permanent collection, which is an interesting choice of words, 
um, in innovative ways to attract a broader audience, which sounds like a you know, they're, they want more people and a more diverse group of people to come to the galleries. Um, but then it says, while maintaining the museum's traditional core white art audience, which it seems like they're aware that the vast majority of the people who currently visit their establishment are white uh, people who have traditionally always been the core audience that their museum gets. And it seems like they don't want to alienate these people is what they're trying to say. So they're telling the director to, yeah, make it diverse, but make the current people still feel like they're the, they're the main people. And so the funny thing is, this is probably actually, I mean, I'm, this is just my opinion right here. Um, I think most art museums probably in, in North America anyway, I think this is probably what they want as well. They just don't put it in words that are so explicit. Yes. I love that you said that because <laughs> yeah. I I totally agree. So this this was a job listing that was put out in early 2021. Um, and what's interesting is this is a paragraph from page four of six. Like, you know how these, these executive <laughs> yeah. director positions, they just go on and on and on. Um, and so... Uh, it, but it's interesting that I think that this really said the quiet part loud in a way that every cultural institution, I shouldn't say every, primarily white institutions uh, feel, which is a lot of like our most traditional, quote unquote, mainstream art museums and a lot of like similar kind of cultural institutions have these primarily white audiences and administrations and curators and all this stuff. And they get out here and then they, they sit in their little boardrooms, especially in, you know, the summer of 2020, which I bet was the like this this job listing itself went out in early 2021. But I'm sure like the impetus for this started in 2020 is the impetus for many things did. And we've seen how much change has actually been affected from that period. But um, the idea of like, OK, so people who love our museum right now are old white people, rich white people, kind of, you know, that's the vibe. And we love them and we don't want them to feel any less special and important. But we also <laughs> mm -hmm. want people who aren't old and or rich and or white to also love our museum because, you know, well, very cynically, we're losing money from not attracting this audience. Slightly less cynically, you know, like we want to connect with more people. And I do believe that there's a mix of that. Like people who work at museums do genuinely want to connect with lots of other people. Also, the administration probably wants to make more money. So we have this. And I believe that that is how all of these places feel behind the scenes. But usually they don't say it like that. Just straight <laughs> yeah. up being like, we want to keep all the white people, but also we want people who aren't white. And it's like, okay, so let's take a step back right now. Yeah. Besides the fact that it's just kind of rude, um, yeah. there is like a there is actually a real fundamental problem with this, which is if you say you want to maintain your core white audience, first of all, you're defining your audience as white, which I do think is an inherent problem that like, even though that may be what the numbers are telling you of the history, you are thinking of your audience, your core audience as a white audience, which I think is not helpful to actually making the situation any better. And also, like, there are going to be you have to make decisions in curation and practices that have to be targeted towards different audiences. And if you want to attract an audience that is young, that is has many people of color in it, that like you may be alienating an older white audience and 
you're going to have to make those decisions at certain points to prioritize different groups of people who have desires for different things. And I'm not saying it's like these are just two <laughs> groups yeah. and yeah. completely unified by all means, but I'm saying that like if we're going to broadly draw the line there and within different sides and different overlapping, there's lots of different subgroups there. But there are going to be, broadly speaking, there are going to be decisions that you make that are going to fall on one side of this arbitrary line or the other. And you you do have to make a choice. Are you prioritizing new audiences or old audiences? And what does that mean for your institution? You can't have everything. Yeah, precisely. I think this, I mean, this actually is something that I've thought about for a very long time, like having worked in an art gallery for like almost a decade. And, but I was, you know, just a gallery guy. So I'm nowhere near the administration level of deciding what happens in in the galleries. But there have certainly been times over the years where we've noticed that certain exhibitions attract a younger, more diverse audience in general. And, you know, some people who are older and more traditional, if they have come to the shows, sometimes they'll really like it, but sometimes they'll just be like, I don't understand this. I don't like it. Um, And maybe there is a possibility they might visit the establishment less because they didn't like this particular show. But I I, want to say that, like, is it possible that these types of reactions have prompted higher ups to be like, oh, no, we don't want to lose that person because they give us a lot of money. I don't know. Like it's these. uh, Yeah. Like these things are going to happen and someone will have to decide, are we willing to lose some people? Basically, I guess. I, yeah, I totally agree with that because I think like there's there's two kind of levels to reaction to this quote, which is what is like I can't believe you actually said that, but also it's not that your it's it's not that the sentiment this is expressing is unique. It's just like uniquely uniquely ignorant to just say it out loud and to not even try to examine your biases and just like put it out there in a publication and be like this is who we are yeah and this is something like i'm just speculating because obviously i don't know what went exactly went into writing this exact sentence but i think another level to what i just said of you know maybe an older person who came to the um our gallery or museum didn't like what they were doing there is also the someone who is a big donor or executive or person on the board or whatever, someone who's really influential, who gives the museum a lot more money than that just one uh, one person who has a yearly membership. It's somebody who gives like hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of dollars. They're generally also white people. Again, not always, but quite often they are. So it's almost like they don't, they mostly don't want to alienate those people. And so that's where I think... I don't I I don't know. I almost feel like that sentence is targeted at the person who is some super influential donor or board member who's I don't know maybe approving the job applications uh, for executive director and that person really likes that or that or they think that sentence will appease that specific person or group of people who are the wealthy um individuals who yeah, influence a lot of the directions in the museum. And I do know, even though like I'm speculating for this particular instance, but I do know that that is also a problem is that it's not just the audience that are these traditional groups of white people. It's the people who are um, 
yeah, giving the money or the vast majority of the money to the museums. So for institutions to change their direction or how they approach things, um, those people are sometimes even harder to uh, get around, I guess. And that kind of brings us to a little bit of context and backstory to this. Uh, So this, as you might imagine, did not happen in a vacuum. It wasn't like this museum was just a bastion of (laughs) equity and inclusion (laughs) and then suddenly dropped this out of nowhere. So at the time of all this happening, um, this kind of the center of it is this man named Charles Venable, who was the director of the Indianapolis Museum of Art um, since 2012. Um, And then during his direction of the museum, they did a lot of kind of structural changes. So instead of focusing just on the art museum, like over the course of 10 years, basically, uh, it really expanded. um, And now it really includes this like park and historic homes and a beer garden um and they changed the name to instead of so now it's the indianapolis museum of art at newfields and newfields is kind of the the larger cultural uh, umbrella organization that includes all this entire campus um so at this time the reason why there was a job opening for director of indianapolis museum of art is because venable was moving up to be the like president of Newfields, the entire organization. Um, and then they were going to be hiring directors for these different roles uh, within the larger Newfield structure. Um, so like this guy who was the director uh, is still like kind of, he's he's actually just moved up in the world. Like he's now the, the top executive leadership of this. And his... Uh, directorship of this museum was fairly controversial part of this restructuring was kind of like less of an emphasis on the art museum part of the art museum um which you know that i think that there is something to be said for expanding your cultural mission um but you know like everything like things come with costs um the bigger thing is that in april of 2015 they ended the policy of free admission so that was obviously very widely criticized um and again like i do have sympathy here clearly it wasn't in a great financial place museums aren't exactly rolling in money and they i guess they came to the point where they couldn't afford to offer free admission and survive off of kind of donations and fundraising anymore um but obviously that's still like uh it's an anti-community move is is just like objectively it is like you you have you have to make trade-offs it was a trade-off made for financial stability but it is um it makes it less accessible for the community then we have this whole rebranding with the emphasis more on like the gardens and stuff um and i I mentioned this also specifically because uh before this point um many curators from the indianapolis museum of art actually left um including sarah uris green who was a guest on this podcast once so i remember shout that. out <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so all of us to say like very controversial uh less of an emphasis on the actual art museum over time less of an emphasis on community accessibility all of these things you can imagine don't like paint the greatest picture and then once you land on sort of this pinnacle atop of this job posting going out um and things did not go well from them there was immediately huge backlash to this and they apologized they initially said 
hey, you know, this was kind of t- taken out of context. Like, you know, as what we already discussed that, you know, they, they it was in the context of they want to recruit a more diverse audience, but also mm. they <laughs> phrased it horribly and also acknowledged <laughs> that they think of their core audience as white and they want to preserve that and all this stuff. Um, so that, yeah. <laughs> there was a quote, we're now hearing feedback saying that people commenting didn't get what our intent was. So we've taken that feedback and we will refine the language. I think they just took the word white out of it. It's like, okay, <laughs> that, we- <laughs> So now it's just written the way yeah. that every other yeah. place is written, where it's like, we want to preserve our core audience. It's a mystery who it is, but you all know who it is. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's the thing. When I read that, my immediate reaction wasn't, oh, my God, these people are horrible, is, oh, my God, these people, unfortunately, are just putting what everyone's thinking into words, which is terrible. But it's not just a reflection of how terrible they are. It's a reflection of how terrible a lot of institutions are. But anyway. It's almost this double-edged sword where I do think it is a problem when institutions don't recognize that they are, like, overwhelmingly white or catering to, like, older, more wealthy people or any of these things, like, or historical issues with the institution. Um, and But I think that sometimes institutions hear that and then instead of doing work to fix problems, they just go, guys, we're really white and we're recognizing that. <laughs> Okay, but what are you what are you doing about it? You just put out a job posting <laughs> yeah. saying you want someone to fix that but also preserve it. It's like, okay, mm, I don't know about this. <laughs> so you'll be shocked to hear that this man did resign as president. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. Like most of these situations, there ends up being someone who is the face of the scandal and pretty obviously the president of the organization became the face of the scandal and he did resign. Um, since he resigned, though, there's also been allegations that there was a a toxic and discriminatory work culture. Um, This was based on an open letter from Kelly Morgan, who is a former associate curator of American art. um, And she alleged uh, several different aspects of like a toxic work culture, including what she called a racist rant uh, from one of the board museum members. Not, not surprised to hear. Yeah, not really. Um, I tried to do, some research into like is there anything that the museum has done in terms of the board uh restructuring work practices things like that and unfortunately i didn't find a lot including i couldn't find anything that was sort of put out by the museum itself about like hey guys here's what we're doing better (laughs) not really any of that which again this is the kind of thing that feels like we're going to get to part three of the story the third act if you will uh, in a minute but i just want to say before we get there is that I'm always very skeptical of when things like this happen and then what changes is the leaders on the top, but we receive no information on if anything structurally or like in the way that they make day-to-day decisions has actually changed. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And it's entirely possible that not much has changed. <laughs> um, and well, you know, ho- hopefully some things have and things do improve. But yeah, I think that's the other unfortunate aspect of these these problems is that it's not just that one person who made a really terrible decision. It's an entire culture of people who continue to practice these things that they do that make a workplace toxic or discriminatory and um yeah like unless you actively try to fix that uh you generally don't 
Yeah. So here's here's where we reach Act Three, and here's what I will say about Newfields is they absolutely have put their money where their mouth is in terms of hiring top leadership. Because they said, oh, no, oh, God, no, oh, no, oh, no, what are we going to do? And then what they did is said, we have to hire every black woman we possibly can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so later in 2021, Darian Christian was elected as the chair of the Newfields Board of Trustees, as she is the first black woman to hold this position. Um, then last year in May 2022, Colette Pierce Burnett was hired um, as the CEO of the new fields, which is sort of like replacing this role that Venable had. She is both the first uh, black top executive and the first woman um, to hold this role. Uh, and this is from a lineage that uh, is like this organization was initially founded as the Art Association of Indianapolis way back in 1883. Um, now we're calling it the new fields. Um, and so she is the <laughs> just lots of firsts in all directions there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one previous woman who was an interim director but like in the 20s (laughs) wow (laughs) we have nothing Mm -hmm. else since then and then now uh why this is back in the news right now uh is extremely recently they announced the finally the filling of this position that was originally done in this posting which is the director of the indianapolis museum of art at the newfield new fields um and uh this role has gone to belinda tate um which the the like lead for the story that I was reading in the art newspaper said, Newfields has appointed Belinda Tate as the next director of the Indianapolis Museum of Art and Newfield, concluding a nearly four year hiring crisis and crisis of identity for the <laughs> oh, year wow. old, 140 year old institution. And I was like, that's what it sounds like to me. Yes. She has. She came from uh, Michigan's Kalamazoo Institute of Art. She's been the executive director there since 2014. Um, and she's going to start in She's going to start on November 6th. I haven't seen any like specific interviews she's done about this yet, but she uh, put out a press release saying, I'm humbled by the opportunity to work alongside President and CEO Dr. Colette Pierce Burnett and the incomparable team at Newfields. Um, the Indianapolis Museum of Art is an evolving institution with a stellar collection and inspiration to all who visit. I look forward to joining a team dedicated to serving the community through exceptional exhibitions and programs as one of the nation's leading cultural destinations. Um, of course, she has, you know, a long resume of of administration in various art museums and everything and so that brings us to here so now i think that there's a very interesting situation going on where we have three very accomplished black women who are now are in sort of like all the main positions of leadership for this art museum Um, but it is kind of a fascinating trajectory where we have like okay this institution has all of these issues we've made a concerted effort to hire at least at the top level people who aren't white men and attempt to solve these issues what do we think about that well i mean i think they're doing something not to say that there aren't more that are being done i think it's what you're saying like we don't have a lot of information in addition to or sorry yeah in addition to um, some of these leadership hires. So it's entirely possible that the leadership are implementing certain things uh, or helping the institutions move um, in a more diverse and positive direction. But we just don't have that information. So, um, and 
yeah, it's entirely possible that things will be more considerate <laughs> from now on. But like I said before, like I think I'm very skeptical about these types of changes and they're unfortunately quite often very slow moving and it's almost like you know a trend line where you go up a little and then you <laughs> like are you know there are certain times where it's not necessarily moving in a positive direction um well i guess the, the, the thing that these um women will have to deal with is the fact that they probably are still catering to a like very large majority core white audience that now that we know or can confirm that's the case and um they'll have to make decisions about how they want to uh move forward and do they want to continue to maintain this audience and it's very possible that they do and they can think of strategies to do that without being offensive to their more diverse audiences but i do think that there's still going to be issues and decisions that they'll make that are not necessarily the easiest decisions. And just like how when I worked at the AGO, we at the time, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but it was quite recent, probably within the last five or six years that we had hired um, a curator of indigenous art for the first time ever. Um, Sorry, who is actually indigenous, which was a great move like in the right direction for sure but it just attracted so much controversy and so many people being just mad about the decisions she was making that you know it wasn't really like I I didn't I didn't want to be her like or like I felt really bad for the positions that she was put into and a lot of other people were so I think it's not going to be easy for a lot of people still in in this circumstance but you know, hopefully over time, things will be easier. I really feel for what you said there, where you feel kind of bad for her. The thing that brings me the most hope in this situation is that they didn't just say, like, we hired a black woman, like a a single person and be like, and then she will be the face of every problem we ever have. And she'll (laughs) fix everything. And if she doesn't fix everything immediately, it's her fault. Which I think is like the position that a lot of people are put in when institutions like this suddenly are like, oh, we have to do diverse hiring. <laughs> yeah. So at least they have put several black women in positions of power um, so that like no one person is the face of anything. Um, and that hopefully that provides like a little bit more more grace for all of these people because everyone is human and nobody can be perfect and solve like <laughs> 140 year old institutions problems immediately so there is that, that that gives me a little bit more faith in the direction that a uh, new fields is going um, because they seem to be like even if they are only committing to the like let's just hire some top positions and it'll all sort itself out at least they're like really committing to that strategy <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, it, it, I, like we were mentioning before, it speaks to it speaks to like a greater kind of cultural and institutional problem across um, like, yeah, like a large amount, if not the vast majority of museums um, in the U.S. and probably also Canada as well. And I feel like, yes, in this case, them putting this job posting and then you know, there being a controversy kind of really prompted them to like make a 
like much much larger effort for diversity in their organization. Um, is it going to take that f- like for every other institution <laughs> to do the same? We, because like that's the problem is that yes, they're maybe looking. It's looking like they're doing something about it, but I don't. I don't think it seems like every other organization are who didn't have this poor choice choice of words in their job um, postings are probably like, oh, okay, so we're, we're, we're doing fine because, you know, we, we, nobody's been mad at us yet for the words that we use. <laughs> and I, I don't think other organizations are doing fine, but it's just no one's pointed it out yet because they haven't, like, done an oopsie yet. <laughs> yeah, there is an argument for sunlight as the best disinfectant where at least when controversies like this happen, that means that there is more attention being paid so that... Um, for example, when like Kelly Morgan put out this open letter um, alleging this discrimination, you know, I feel like that that now gets picked up in all these stories about the personnel changes uh, because it becomes part of a wider pattern and uh, something that is like paid a little bit more attention to because everything adds up to create this larger picture. And so hopefully, I mean, hopefully in the future, they'll they won't be bad, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but if something does happen, um, it will be part of this larger pattern of stories that people pay more attention to and gets picked up by more outlets. All this is to say, I truly wish the best for Belinda Tate. She seems very accomplished and competent, and I really hope that everything goes well under her tenure um, and in the tenure of of Burnett and Christian, you know, and I hope that their tenure as top executives also allows for prioritization of hiring diversely in other areas of the museum and equitable work practices, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I hope the workers unionize. I hope all museums everywhere unionize. Because God knows people aren't getting paid enough <laughs> at the bottom there. So I this is solving problems at the top, that's nice. Solving problems at the bottom, now we're talking. <laughs> I I would certainly agree with that. Well, thanks everybody out there for listening to this. Um be very interested to know if anyone is in Indianapolis and they have any more insight this like as someone close by there. Cause like I mentioned, I didn't find a lot of a wider coverage of this issue besides sort of like the general headlines and press releases and stuff. And I'll be interested to know if anyone is Indianapolis and there's been more local coverage that they've had access to. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial. And you can find us on Instagram at pictorial pod. You can also find me on Instagram at Quinsta Rose. And I am on Instagram as Articulations V and also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we do have a YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcasts, where we will be, uh, we generally upload video versions of our audio episodes a few months after the fact. Um, This one won't have too many images, but maybe I'll find some nice pictures of the uh, Indianapolis New Fields buildings and stuff. I don't, there was a version of the show where I guess I could have talked about any art at all that's <laughs> been at this museum, but I got too distracted talking about administration. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> oh, well. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.